0: My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Creative Grapevine. Hey, before we get into today's show, I wanted to mention that My Wax Museum has an Instagram page, which has a ton of bonus content. Here's a quick sample. Who is your favorite person and why?
1: Oh, wow. I guess my wife, and uh, because she's uh, survived being with me for 20 years. Um, But I don't know. Are you looking for someone famous?
0: Nope, people have said famous people, people have said random people, uh themselves. Somebody said themselves. Have,
1: so. Yeah, I should have gone with myself. Yeah. That would have been a cooler answer. Have some self-confidence. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh yeah. First first one came to my mind is my wife. Yeah.
0: Our Instagram handle is at my wax museum. Easy, right? Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by my friend and fellow podcaster, David Yun. David is a humble guy who spends a lot of time in deep thought and contemplation. He shares with me how the mountains making us feel inconsequential is part of what drew him to Calgary from Toronto. As a heads up, we do talk about addiction, depression, and other related struggles in this episode. We keep it light and learn from it, but I thought I'd let you know at the top of the episode. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. David Yun, welcome to My Wax Museum.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was perfect. Okay, um, so I always start off with how we know each other. So do you want to briefly explain, um, I guess, how we know each other?
1: Uh Yeah, I mean, I think just Podcast Brunch Club. So, um, Kyle, I suppose he is uh, my partner. Uh, it's a great implication there, Kyle, if you're listening to this. Um, he's, as I guess you know, uh, more than I did at the time, is just a, a podcast nut. He's got an obsession uh, for, I mean, digital media, his media lab, YYC is how I knew him. So, uh, he's just kind of a nerd about that in general, but podcast is a thing that I'm learning. Um, he's, he's crazy about, um, and then he, so he'd helped me develop my first podcast and then we're doing one together and then he brought up, he sent me an email about this podcast brunch club, uh, which, you know, I, I had my reservations about, but, uh, it was a good way to come out and see him. And, you know, initially when we were meeting, it was just, um, Basically me, him, and Jen. Um, but once the Zoom thing came on, uh, you've been there most, I think every COVID, I, I'm not sure. I think I missed one. but
0: Every time since I found out about it.
1: Yeah. So we've started chatting about that. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of, I think that's it. I can't remember if there's any more depth to that story, but... Uh. No,
0: no, there's not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's pretty simple. Uh, but yeah, it's it's funny. Kyle was actually, I think he was like my third guest on this podcast or something. And you are, I think you're number 82 or something. You're busy, um, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I love podcasting and uh, I really admire Kyle a lot because he's very like, he's really good good at it uh really good at what he does and uh and yeah you've you've done a few shows so um yeah the podcasting world that's how i know everybody i know it seems now um but yeah so why don't you tell me where you're from originally
1: sure Uh, i was born in toronto um yeah born in toronto 1978 so uh I'm I'm getting on in my years. Um, My parents were from Korea, uh, were, are, I suppose. I don't know which uh, is the right tense. They're still alive, so I think are from Korea. Um, Yeah, I grew up in Toronto, uh, essentially. So uh, I think I was born and we were living in Scarborough and then uh, somewhere North York. And then the family home, they settled in Thornhill, which is a suburb just north I mean it's tech i mean Toronto's Toronto's uh, Toronto's Toronto, but at the time uh, Toronto ended at Steeles Avenue in the north. It wasn't even actually uh, the mega city yet, so North York ended at Steeles and then essentially one intersection north is a small borough called Thornhill. My parents bought a house there when I was in grade maybe five, and so they still live there um, and then I went to high school in Toronto, so I had I had uh, troubles my whole life, and uh, my parents were Catholic, so I did go to Catholic school. I've actually done some sacraments, which is fucking hilarious. And uh, I think by the time I was in grade eight, I was I was losing the plot. I was already uh, quite unstable, and so the uh, the mediation was that I would go to uh, an, a secular school of their choosing, and the best school at the time was North Toronto. So I essentially spent my high school uh, years in uh, Young and Angus, based you know downtown, uh, midtown Toronto. Um yeah, and uh, I've been in Calgary since 2012. So um I've lived all around Toronto, had lots of my formative experiences there and uh yeah, and then my wife and I moved out here uh yeah, 8 8 years ago now. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. So um so I've interviewed a few people from Toronto. Um and and I'm always curious to see like what what your experience was like growing up as a kid there like what was it a place you enjoyed did you want to leave toronto like what was your relationship like with the city and surrounding area
1: um yeah i think toronto's a a a pretty unique place uh There are a lot of layers. I mean, for example, if we want to, I mean, uh, the the current climate is about minority and race status. So one of the things that stuck out to me coming to Calgary is uh, this is a very white city. So uh, growing up in Toronto, even in the 70s and 80s, if you look at my class pictures from any of the boroughs, uh, you know, everybody's included. There's uh, black kids, Asian kids, brown kids. Like it's just, so when you're growing up, even though as a minority there are uh, stressors, um, it's an interesting experience there because cultures, I mean, there's a little everything in Toronto. There's a little Ethiopia, a little Somalia. You you can find pockets of culture everywhere if you want to look. Um, The downside uh, of living in Toronto, other than the uh, booming cost, is um, things are kind of also hard to get to so um, to get to little portugal it's not on the subway so uh, you kind of have to know where you're going and uh, if you're uh, let's say a foodie and you're chasing authentic cuisine uh, you can find it in Toronto but uh, it's a bit of a chase so that's that's one aspect that i kind of i don't know if i miss it necessarily but it it's been standing out a lot more uh recently um i i think growing up to in Toronto, I lived there in a time where, um, you know, it was pre-megacity. So even Toronto was split up into uh, five, five cities. It was North York, York. Toronto was just the downtown core. Tobacco, Scarborough, and East York, maybe six. And so it amalgamated in, I can't remember, mid-90s uh, into one city. So I, I kind of grew up, too, in an era where everything was a little bit like there's tones there used to be tones so you know tobacco was like this and Scarborough's was like that and um so it was kind of it was kind of fun there was uh it was uh, it was an interesting thing once it amalgamated Toronto changed the um the housing boom i don't know all of that stuff evolved and i think my relationship is uh um distorted by my psychological health so uh, I started hating it. I, um, My wife and I moved into a townhouse in Scarborough, close to the east end of Scarborough, and it used to take us, it could potentially take us an hour to go downtown to go to a mall. You know, you live in your car. Um, and we were actually technically in the city. Um, by the time we were leaving, all of our friends were living in Stouffville. So Stouffville, to put it in perspective is, I mean, on a good traffic day, that's still 45 minutes to get to downtown Toronto. On a bad traffic day, you just don't go, right? And so as the housing boom moved, you see a little bit like in Calgary, but on a fundamentally different scale, each community would then have either to develop its own micro sort of uh, commercial space where if you lived in, let's say Milton, you stayed in Milton <laughs> and coming to Toronto, even though technically it's a suburb, that's a big event. Um, or people like my wife and I, where we wanted to live in Toronto, but we couldn't afford it. So we just spent time kind of moving back and forth or, uh, you know, peer-to-peer relationships. Um, so going to other people's houses. So that that's kind of a weird thing. It, my experience of Toronto was living on the essentially outskirts and trying to find my way in. Um, just to, as a contrast, my sister, um, who's now like a firefighter, she's she's amazing. But she's uh, younger. She's seven years younger. Um, and she was a bit of a black sheep too. So she lived downtown, art life, you know, tattoos, fashion school, bike courier, like just this almost bohemian thing. And whenever I bring this up, she kind of laughs at me because, um, I mean, she's living... In a five hundred dollar apartment with you know five of her girlfriends at the, you know at one stage of her life, but that's six women paying five hundred bucks to live in a piece of shit house so uh, you can just imagine like you know it's just a different experience, but she rode her bike and she's uh, all over the city um, she has her own trials and tribulations and her own opinions about uh the Toronto experience but I find the more I talk to her they're fundamentally different than mine um, and I think that's a thing about toronto that's more and more uh more and more prevalent in my conversations when i meet people is uh it depends on your social class it depends on uh, what you want out of your life and toronto can uh, offer things to you for whatever the price is um and in so doing people have fundamentally different experiences i think that's an urban thing in general Uh, there's a lot of people in calgary that complain about the inner city but you know, just being kind of a pretentious Toronto person. It's kind of like how I imagine a New Yorker would think about this conversation of Toronto. Um, it's just so quaint because uh, we've been here long enough that we love Calgary, that we we feel we're Calgarian. But especially when we first moved here and we were so Toronto arrogant, hearing people complain about a 30-minute commute. It's just like I, there were times where I was laughing out loud at a bar, just being a prick and telling people they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Um, but we find like, I live at McLeod in 42nd. I don't go to South center. Uh, you know, 20 minutes is a long time now. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to spend 20 minutes to go to a mall. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how those things change. Uh, when I go back now, I, I hate Toronto. It's too much. Uh, every intersection is a downtown core. I don't understand how people live there. It's, uh, it's swollen. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty intimidating place now, so.
0: That's interesting. That's really interesting. So when you first got to Calgary, uh I guess I guess better question, what brought you to Calgary? Why did you why did you move?
1: Uh well, I was bottoming out. I I am um, like I said, I, I'm not a big planner. <laughs> so, uh I think to survive in an urban dense happening place, especially in Canada where the housing booms you know, they don't correlate with people's salaries. You're in the States right now in school. There's something about the States where, I mean, outside of, let's say Manhattan center, um, the housing costs and travel costs and stuff seem to correlate to whatever state you're in. So you can afford to, to kind of settle down somewhere, provided you have a minimum income. Toronto's, uh, Complicated. You got to chase, uh, and you got to work pretty hard, and you got to have a plan. Uh, and I'm really not good at any of those things. Uh, I don't like to chase things. I mean, I end up working hard, but uh, in a very resentful way. Uh, so um, by the time 2010 rolled around, um, yeah, my drinking and all this stuff was getting out of control. I didn't really know that at the time. Uh, I'd, uh, I was losing a lot of friendships. Um, I was bottoming out at work. And uh you know, at that time I had a pretty fractured relationship with my family. Uh so I you know, to be in hindsight, to be honest, I think I was running away from everything. Um I was working in the insurance at the time and uh the reason I came to Calgary is uh a little complex, but um the simplest way is I was working in property insurance as a field uh appraiser, adjuster, whatever. And we didn't have field operatives in Calgary. So there was a, I think 2011, there was a windstorm here that was close to a hurricane. So I flew out here. And as soon as I saw the mountains, I was just like, I got to leave Toronto. I got to live here and I got to be on top of a mountain. Um, and so I think I was here three days and I flew back to Toronto and I spent three months convincing Helen that we should go. And she was like, no, absolutely not. Um. And then being such a manipulative, uh, selfish prick, uh, she had this one like, stage at her work just after that where she was just suffering, like her work was kind of having a bad, and so I brought it up one more time. <laughs> and uh, she was like, well, maybe. And then I talked to my boss, and I was like, look, this position here has been vacant for two years. You know, just uh, send me. And uh, it was an awful process, but six months later, uh, they moved me out here um, it was the best and worst decision of my life cause, uh, it was great cause I'm here and it was the worst cause being the only property insurance adjuster in Western Canada for an insurance company and then getting hit by the floods, uh, um, that's quite a harrowing experience. Um, but to be honest, uh, yeah, I, I was breaking apart, uh, personally and, um, uh, and I continue to do so here. And then, uh. Yeah, 2016 all came to a head. So, uh, yeah, I was running away. I all of that to say, I think I was running away from Toronto. Yeah,
0: interesting, interesting. And I mean, the mountains are beautiful, so uh, that's understandable too.
1: My favorite thing about the mountains, say, my favorite thing about the mountains, I used to say, is uh, it's great to feel small. There's just something, especially for a city, a city boy like me. Uh, the first time you walk up close to anywhere in the foothills and uh that sense of uh, like that you just you're inconsequential Uh, there's something great and humbling about it and then after that thinking that there has been a human being essentially standing on every one of those peaks at some point in history is so strange uh, because i i can't climb that (laughs) but it's a testament to yeah human uh, willpower it's fascinating
0: yeah, so you you mentioned that in 2016 everything came to a head. Um walk walk me through that a little bit. What was your what was going on and what was your experience like? Uh,
1: sure. Um again, all along we, I love talking as you can tell. So these are all you're going to have a lot of problems with the uh, post-production here. Um I don't know. I I think after the floods uh, I That was, yeah, a deeply problematic experience, uh, both for, uh, you know, drinking too much and just being emotionally unstable. And then from a career perspective, just, uh, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I think by the time 2014 rolled around, um, my son was born, uh, I was having essentially a mental breakdown. Um, My wife was going through postpartum. And I think I started a string of two years of continuously uh, leapfrogging mental, emotional stress leaves from work. So I, theoretically, I haven't worked a real daytime job since 2014. Um, and so uh, between 14 and 16-ish, um, I was uh, just, just getting worse. Uh, what's fun about being, uh, I mean, sarcastically, but uh, what's fun about being an addict is uh, it's everybody else's fault. So um, by the time 2016 rolled around, um, you know, it was the world against me and, and fuck everybody else. And uh, the uh, I have a lot of stories about doing dumb shit. <laughs> uh, but the final one that I finally realized I had a problem is, uh, um, I don't remember that well, but I got blackout drunk here. I think I, I mean, I, I yelled at my wife and my kid. My kid was like one and a half, maybe. Uh, and when I say yell, I mean, you know, you're talking about kind of your appearance. A lot of people think that I'm a very sweet, happy guy. But when I go the other way, uh, uh, I completely lose control, we'll put it. So um, I think I, I, left, uh, I left the room, I left the condo. I don't think I was even wearing a jacket or had my keys or my phone. I screamed every house I passed, I tried to get someone to come out and fight me. I went down onto McLeod. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure this memory is true, but it's a memory and I was drunk. I think I, there's a holiday in across the street. I'm pretty sure there's somebody in the lobby that I uh, was telling to go fuck themselves. And I think he hugged me. I, I don't know, but uh, it wasn't an altercation. And then the police picked me up. I was lying down at 42nd and McLeod talking to myself. Um, in the street and uh, sort of the grace of God was I was taken to Rocky for psychiatric assessment instead of being thrown into uh, a treatment center or a thing. Um, and I just remember that night uh, being in the hospital and I was going through different personality swings. You know, by the time I, by the time the police officers left me, we were exchanging numbers and we were like, not friends, but you know, I was being very cordial and I think I remember uh, at one point waking up and yelling at nurses. And I think another point I was like crying because uh, waiting for a psychiatrist to come in. At any rate, uh, you know, very unstable. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I think six o'clock in the morning. And keep in mind, like, uh, we don't have any family support here. So, you know, Helen's at home uh, by herself um, thinking I had, uh, yeah, well, not thinking, knowing I had completely lost it. So I remember it was like five or six in the morning and she had to come with Emerson to pick me up. I mean, you want to talk about a humbling experience. Not only have I been a dick the night before, violent, crazy, got arrested, (laughs) went for a psychiatric assessment at a hospital, but then my wife has to bring my son at like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning to a hospital to pick my ass up. Um. It was finally. I mean, I, there have been many moments in my life where it should have been enough, but that was kind of uh, a moment where I realized uh, everything I was doing was wrong. I didn't know how to do things right yet, but uh, yeah, that was 2016 uh, March 5th. That was uh, that was a great year, man. I uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, life kind of finally uh, slapped me in the face. Uh, and you know, uh, being in addiction recovery is so long, there's some people where it's not enough, uh, but for me, uh, I think. Uh, the fear of uh, finally, I was imagining that either I was going to die or Helen was going to leave me finally. And I just, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do either. So uh, yeah, that's what happened in 2016.
0: <laughs> hey, future Alex here, interjecting to mention that my wax museum has an Instagram page, which has a ton of bonus content. Here's another sample from David's answers to my quick questions. What is the best thing you've changed about yourself?
1: Oh, everything. Uh, I'm sober now a little over four years. So that was a big uh, watershed moment. And I think, uh, you know, out of that and the work I've done to get away from my past self, uh, you know, a lot of stuff has sprung from it. So um, yeah, And now I've suddenly forgotten the question, but uh, I think, yeah. S- stopping, stopping drinking and doing drugs, kids. Uh, that's a pretty crucial thing. Now, now I just sound forty-two, but uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's perfect. Our Instagram handle is at My Wax Museum. Easy, right? Now back to the show. Um, you had like this huge wake-up call moment. Um, moving forward, what has that like? recovery process been like? How have you continued to to change and, and grow as an individual since then?
1: The first thing that happened was uh, I got an AHS assigned psychiatrist, and my psychiatrist has been a great lifeline. So number one, I don't have to pay for him, <laughs> which is sweet. Uh, and number two, I just got lucky and I'd been to therapists and psychologists before, usually through work. So there's nothing against them as professionals, but there's, um, a structural bias. You know, if you're going in under a healthcare, a healthcare or a work oriented thing, you know, their mandate is try to get you functional and back into an office, you know, for right or for wrong. Um, and so I didn't really respond, uh, the many times I'd found myself in front of different types of therapy, but, um, this psychiatrist, because he's, uh, an AHS one and it's about, uh, my personal, uh, sanity. Um, I mean, he's been very direct and the longer, I mean, we've been working together for, uh, yeah, over four years. So I've learned, um, his approach when he did his initial assessment with me is just to, um, to just put everything on the line uh, and just kind of force me to make decisions, um, uh, force is a strong word, but to present decisions that I had to make. Um, so that was that was crucial. And then um, out of those conversations, I got into uh, sort of rehabilitation programs. Uh, so um, that's been fundamentally important. And through uh, the sort of recovery groups, um, I've had to understand that I need to take a, a spiritual approach to life. So um, the fundamental uh teaching there as i kind of brought up earlier is um you know and this is you know it's it's an ambiguous one but i gotta stop thinking uh, that i can control anything in my life um and uh, the dialectic is when i give up control suddenly controls appear in my life and i can actually do things again um uh, so it's not been an easy process but uh, you know simple is never easy and I think easy is where uh, addictions of all kinds uh, exist because they're distractions from having to face uh, the realities of whatever your personal things are and uh, for me the addictions were yeah drugs and alcohol but you know some other uh, right now my addiction is candy crush so I, I, I don't know it's uh, it's all about trying to hide from stuff so um so facing that and having to kind of uh, make assessments about what I'm doing, the decisions I make, um, that's required for me a spiritual intervention, let's call it. And uh, I'm not religious, um, but uh, but I yeah, I pray a lot. <laughs> I don't know what I'm praying to, but uh, yeah, the more I just give it up to fate or to life or to the great spirit or whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, the more things tend to work themselves out. It sounds a little carefree, uh, but it's fun. Yeah. It's...
0: Yeah. W- would you say that you that you are more carefree? Like, has that been like a fundamental change for you?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, it's not a switch, right? Uh, it's a practice skill. Um, it, it's uh, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I think there's. Uh, an initial stage where the thing I have to confront is that I'm an addict. So that's, that's a big one. Um, but after you get through that, if you, if you get through that and after you get through that, then you have to face the fact that you still have to exist and find a way, let's say to coexist with my wife, uh, play roles of husband and father, you know, coexist with the people around. Although one of the saving graces I think of being here is I didn't really have a peer group around me, but, uh, at least physically. So, uh, you know, I got to cheat there, but um, but then, I don't know, uh, becoming an artist uh, first in photography and display and then with the perspectives trying to get artists to uh, have a showcase and a platform, um, you know, doing the magazine, doing the podcast, um, all of it when it was at its most ideal was when I was um, open-minded enough that this was all for them. And where it collapsed, uh, particularly after I got diagnosed with epilepsy uh, a year and a half ago, was I started asking what was in it for me. And then, uh, it, and this is not sort of uh, indicative for everybody, but for me, that was crushing. It, it fell apart, and uh, uh, I wasn't able to do it with integrity anymore. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a complex—I mean, all of these are complex questions, I, I think— Maybe we'll put it this way. I'm learning that being carefree is probably a better state of mind uh, and that I am naturally disposed to not be able to do that. Um, there's an irony in me boasting that I never prepare for anything, which sounds carefree, but it's usually more self-destructive. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's fun learning these things. There's nuances, man. It's all about nuances. Ugh.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Because I'm, 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 the same way. I do usually as little preparation as possible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it is very self-destructive, <laughs> um, especially when it comes to school. Uh, so, so then, kind of moving forward. Um, now, now you're here. What is it? What is it that you're doing now? What kind of artistic projects are you working on now? That kind of. Uh, I don't know, bring some f- sort of fulfillment or satisfaction to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the question. I don't know. I think um, getting diagnosed with epilepsy was uh, a kind of big punch to the face. Uh, I I mean, literally, I, f- I fell. I had, uh, I, they used to call them grandma, but I had two tonic-clonic, well, no, six, but two events um, in the first round or I was in the washroom so in the bathroom so um I smashed myself up quite uh, vigorously uh, so I actually had uh, first four and then 10 stitches in my head uh <laughs> uh, so the you know having to deal with that uh having to accept that I'm sick and as I recently was speaking to another artist friend of mine uh, that I'm in fact disabled now um, losing my ability to drive at least temporarily um you know, it's, it's, uh, my psychiatrist brought up, it's a, it's been a grieving period because I, I was establishing myself in one way, you know, so I, I just did a CV. So I'm looking at how manic essentially I was in 2018. I, I was, uh, showing my own work. I was putting on shows. I was, uh, doing these events, doing the podcast, putting on live events, trying to coordinate other artists to get li- Like it was, I think I was doing something each week where I was driving around the city. It, it was, uh, it was great. Um, but it was nuts, um, to kind of, by the end of last year, it was full stop. Uh, I just, you know, I just couldn't do anything anymore. And so this year, um, I, co- I joke that COVID's been the best thing ever for me. I, uh, it's been such a great way to kind of, uh, be allowed to take a step back without a lot of the guilt and shame that I'm supposed to be doing something else. Uh, and so on a move forward basis, I think, um, you know, let's say for the perspectives thing, if I want that to exist and put out energy into the community, I need to, you know, find a structured way to do it that I don't get overwhelmed. Um, what that is specifically, I don't know. Uh, looking back, building a print magazine from scratch without sponsorships uh, was beautiful in its idealism, but it was unsustainable. We printed three issues uh, and then it, it kind of uh, lost its legs. Um the podcast is great, but, um, uh, as I'm learning, cause I don't, I mean, I make podcasts, but I don't really listen to them. So, um, finding an audience and understanding both what they want to hear and how to tell a story about the creators in the city has been, it's, it was working for perspectives, but, um, you know, do I want to chase that down? I, so that's a question I don't know. Um, for my personal art, uh, I had been feeling detached. That's why I built that uh, photography podcast. But I think recently I was so I was speaking with a friend, um, a poet, uh, Audrey Lane Cockett, who also uh, suffers from epilepsy. And so, you know, the idea of being able to bring art and illness together um, is a thought. And it's not new. I mean, these are things that have been explored by other people. So that's something that's fascinating to me. Uh, we'll see if that develops into something. And then there's been some uh, public calls for... You know, grants to do public work, uh, some of it through COVID and some of it just uh, Calgary specific. Um, the key to those three things is I need to find a way to make money. <laughs> and uh, podcasts and uh, taking pictures have not been a great uh, money-making uh, scheme. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't want to keep doing it. It's just, the you know, I, I don't know what, what comes next. Uh, we'll, we'll just see how it unfolds. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Uh, today's the best day. So fuck. We'll see what Today happens is tomorrow. The best day. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, and this is my problem. The more I think about what should happen, uh, the more disappointed I end up being. And, uh, hmm. you know, and, yeah.
0: uh, yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, gotta appreciate those hailstorms, man. I, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Kind of just have to take it one day at a time. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So I uh, I'm curious then do you have like I I guess then I'll I'll ask this question um at the end of your life um when when you're looking back at everything and this is to kind of wrap it up here um when you're looking back on everything. Um you you've said, you know, you're not really a bucket list kind of guy, um but I think you can get the kind of the, the sense of this question when you're looking back and looking at everything you've done, all, all the things you've felt, the life you've lived. Um, what are you going to be most proud of and what are you most satisfied with?
1: I don't know. Um, I think, I think, uh, a sort of eth- ethereal concept. I like, uh, I think that was Siri. Oh my God, Siri! Siri, suck. Turn off. Um, uh, I don't even know where my phone is. The fuck. Sorry, give me a second. Oh, here. It's under my ass. Um. So, uh, we should leave leave that in the edit. That's just kind of funny. Um. No. Uh. Yeah. These sort of ethereal ideas, one of uh, integrity, and it's uh. It's a big catch-all, kind of a bullshit word because it's, uh, you know, like all, it's all semantics, right? Like what does integrity really mean? I don't know. But um, for me, these moments where I can do things um, for the sake of doing them intuitively, I think those will turn out to be great moments. So so the first magazine I built, uh, that's a great moment. By the third one, I had lost... my relationship with it. Uh, so, um, through no fault of the contributors, I just, I, would confused myself about what it was for. Um, photography, same thing. You know, uh, there are some shows where I'm, I guess, proud, uh, but ready to display, you know, what I've been doing. And there's sometimes it goes up where I, um, I don't know, I hate it. Uh, I'm scared. I'm scared of that I'm not getting a response so I'm scared to get Or you know it's just it gets so convoluted um you know uh, podcast same thing like I'm amazed that I have a two or three I guess um but I'm I can also be disappointed that nobody's listening to them. I I don't know it's uh, it's a weird thing um so if we're talking about if I died tomorrow if I knew I was going to die tomorrow uh, a would I have any regrets and b what would I be most proud of I don't know I I would uh I'd be most proud that we ran in a hailstorm, and I thought it was funny. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's trite, but um, being in those moments and being present, uh, or uh, learning the capacity to do that, has been uh, has been life altering, and uh, I think that's going to be uh, the project, whatever form it takes, uh, if we. I mean hopefully we'll hang out Alex but if we meet again in 10 years and I'm suddenly accountant which which I won't be but let's say I become a chartered accountant if I'm doing that uh, in a present sense then I expect that I'll be happy that I'm there uh, um, I won't be an accountant I'm, I, you know I don't plan I'm, I'm pretty bad at at spreadsheets but um and money but uh, but just as a as a as to make a point I think if I end up getting there um, because I'm supposed to be there, then there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, uh, well, yeah, but I couldn't tell you. I mean, fuck, tomorrow, who knows what happens tomorrow, man? Uh, so we'll see. Next time we meet for podcast brunch, bring it up and we'll see if uh, I'm holding true to this <laughs> answer or not, or if I'm like miserable and talking about, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done this bullshit. Uh, we'll see. Yeah.
0: I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, uh, is there anything you want to plug any, any shows, uh, that you think people should go check out that you're doing? Uh,
1: I don't know. Um, well, you know, the Perspectives podcast is on a hiatus, uh, just cause I don't know, um, yeah, what to do next. But, uh, the first, I'd named them three seasons, but there are, I don't remember how many interviews I've done. Um uh, they're all live and they're all local, uh, creators or interesting people I've met, uh. It, just to give you a spectrum, I mean, um, spoken word poets, musicians, and then I have a 94 year old geologist I met at a coffee shop. who has got the most fascinating life. Uh, um, you know, just people that I got to know just being out here in mission, um, and in the art world. Uh, so I was pretty happy developing that, but, um, that hasn't, I haven't published on there since, uh, yeah February but if you want to check it out that's fun my new podcast that that uh, comes during COVID's been trying to merge uh, a philosophical look of photography so um I'm just interviewing photographers so I've got uh, a few things coming out there um yeah Kyle and Dave versus the machine if you want to hear me uh be very negative about movies uh combating Kyle's uh fucking optimism then check that out uh uh, he's, so, yeah, he's so sweet and kind, fuck, such a rube, um, you know, we have fun and it's 1999, so it's fun because, uh, you know, we were both living, but, uh, in different stages of our lives. So we have, uh, sometimes we have, uh, a combating view. We agree a lot more than we thought in concept. I think we thought we were going to fight a lot more, but, uh, but movies are movies, right? I, I don't know if you're a big movie guy, but.
0: Oh, I am. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I used to love, uh, I mean, I love movies, but I used to
0: love, love movies. Um,
1: Yeah, and that's about it. I'll, uh, I don't know what else is going on. Yeah, so we'll see. I got into Exposure Studio, so I'll let you know if that turns into something. Yeah, so that's a new program. There's international photographers that are going to give talks that I get to apparently interact with. Um, So again, next time we meet, we'll see if that's something but I think that starts this week. Um, I actually don't know. I haven't looked. (laughs) I'll have to look to see when they're on.
0: Yeah. This episode will come out in a few months yet. So I'll, I'll let you know beforehand and we can make sure I'll put all the links for everything that's been mentioned, um, in, in the show notes, but that's awesome. Um, and yeah, keep me posted on anything else that comes up, but in the meantime, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, Yeah, we'll do the reverse soon.
0: And thank you for listening. Not just to this show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more to the people around you. The people in your life that you just happen to know. Take some time, just five minutes, to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.